0: I'm going to read this morning from Mark's Gospel, and if you have a church Bible uh, and you want to read from that, it is page 1007, 1007 in the church Bible. Um, I think the reading will be on the screen here, and I'm going to read it from my own Bible as well. So it's Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. The Bible gives a little heading here and it says, The healing of a demon-possessed man. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again, not to send them out of the area. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the neighbor hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. But when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who would seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. God bless his word. A poor man living in the tombs. The day had started just like any other for him, but it ended with his whole life being transformed. How? Because that day he met with Jesus. Jesus confronted someone in the worst possible condition and completely transformed their life. What I have today to say is very simple, and it's this. No one is too bad for Jesus, and nothing is too hard for Jesus. And that applies to you and to me and to everyone in the whole world. Demon possession may seem an extreme and unsavoury topic for a Sunday sermon in Sawbridgeworth in the summer holidays. And people's reactions can also be very extreme. Firstly, let us be clear that demon possession is not mental illness. It's not depression. It's not having an anxiety attack. It's not bipolar disorder. It's not anything to do with the disorders and things that we often face in normal life. Some well-meaning people, including Christians, see demons in everything. They attribute demons to bad behavior that we can't control. We call them sometimes besetting sins. And sometimes the excuse is, well, the devil made me do it. But in reality, most of these situations can be remedied by prayer, renewing our minds in Bible truth, associating with Christian friends, and with the passage of time. The Bible says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on. And for most of us, particularly when we become Christians, we worry sometimes incessantly about some areas of of our lives. Well, we need to stop worrying and, and let God do his work. And God will take a lifetime, but he'll finish it. And he will succeed. But the man described in our text today was in a far, far worse condition. He was controlled. He was taken over by evil spirits. Why and how, we don't know. And now I want to tell you a true story. When Marvin and I first really started out serving the Lord, we lived in Bedford... And uh, north of Bedford, in a tiny little village called Bonehurst, it was a little wooden chapel. Now, it only only hailed about 50 people at at most, and it had a tin roof. And they're called, in the old days, they were called tin tabernacles. Tiny little, like a little wooden shed it was. And it was disused, and we set about restoring it. And we got all the youth from the church out to paint the walls and do things to it. And we started to hold meetings midweek. And there was a family that started coming to us. Um, In fact, the children started to come. Anne, Janet, and Brian, they were called. And uh, we had a a meeting like Excite, but for perhaps about a dozen, twenty children. And it went very well. But the oldest girl, Anne, she was very, very thin. And not only was she very thin, but she was bent over. And she used to be absolutely bent over like, like this to one side. And uh, we used to go and collect them from their home. We used to take the car and give them a lift. And uh, one day we knocked on the door and the door opened and there was their father. And Marvin and I will never forget it because he did seem a strange man. But it wasn't that that caught our attention. It was the fact that when he looked at us, there was something behind his eyes that was looking at us. And whatever it was, it was evil. We found out that that man went to a spiritualist church. And we said to Anne, the the little girl, the oldest girl actually, we said, when was it that you began to have this condition which you've got now? And she said, it was when dad started to take us to this church. Now I tell you that story, because, first because it's true, and secondly because I do believe that there are things in this world that are not of God, that are of Satan. And I'll leave it there. But let's go back to our text. If today you go to the Sea of Galilee, you will discover a village there called Caesarea. And it's on the eastern shore. And many people think this is where the demon-possessed man actually lived. Because nearby is a cliff within 40 40 meters of the sea. And significantly, there's some old tombs there, which are caves hollowed out of the rock. This man was unnatural in every way, wasn't he? He had an unnatural home. He lived in in the tombs. He had unnatural strength. He was chained hand and foot but tore the chains apart and nobody could subdue him. He did unnatural acts. He screamed night and day, gashing himself with stones. Above all, he had an unnatural spirit, an evil spirit, which drove him and controlled him. And he was beyond human help, until the day that he met the Lord. The demons inside the man used his human voice and reacted violently to the presence of Christ, crying out. But we read that when they were confronted by the Lord, who's the highest authority in the universe, the demons even had to ask permission to leave the man and go into a herd of pigs. Seeing all this, the pig farmers ran off into the town and soon everyone came out to see this infamous man. But something amazing had happened. Instead of the tortured soul they'd all heard of, there he was sitting quietly with Jesus because the Lord had delivered him. And this passage of scripture we read again in Luke chapter 8 and I just want to read this. When they came to Jesus, they found the man sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. I just want to dwell on those three things. They found him sitting at Jesus' feet. I love that expression, sitting at the feet of Jesus. You see, he'd been alone in the tombs among the dead, running around screaming, shunned by society, now he was at peace, loved, accepted, understood, and protected by the most caring person in the universe, Jesus. His chains had gone and he was free. Hallelujah. And that brings me to you and me. When was the last time we sat at the feet of Jesus? The best place that you and I can be in our soul is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it's something we find very hard to do at times. But I want to encourage you again. You know what I mean by that expression. Every time I ever preach here, which I know not very often, but when I do, I always think of that phrase that um, was given to me by the secretary of our church back in Bedford, who came to me after the service. He was a very quiet man. He was a Welshman. He got a wonderful singing voice. But socially, he was very quiet. And if he came to you, you knew he was going to say something important. And he came up to me took my hand, looked into my eyes, and he said, Roger, your best friend is Jesus. Now, Some of you have heard me say that before, but I don't mind saying it again, because your best friend is Jesus. Whether you've walked in here for the first time ever or whether you've been here 40, 50 years, no one understands you like Jesus. And so we need to encourage ourselves to sit at his feet maybe this morning you actually feel very lonely perhaps you are bullied even at work people are bullied perhaps you're going through a situation that you don't talk to anybody about because nobody would understand you but he does and this is what's so wonderful because friends when we become Christians we don't we it's not we're not getting religion are we we're getting a person, or more so even, he is getting us, and we're building a relationship with the Lord himself, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Secondly, when the crowd came and saw the demon-possessed man and he was free, not only was he sitting at the feet of Jesus, but the Bible says he was clothed, he was dressed. Gospel of Luke says in its parallel account, That for a long time, this man had not worn clothes. I mean, just imagine, just imagine what, what this was like. He ran around, unclothed. Now, he was dressed. And that speaks to me this morning, friends, of dignity. He had regained his dignity. God had given him his dignity back. No more shame. No more a laughing stock. No more an object of fear, contempt and loathing. He could take his place in society again, accepted and respected by other people. Clothed. We would be terribly ashamed today if someone stripped us, wouldn't we? It would be an awful thing. And other people would run up to try and remedy that situation but in our souls and in our lives we can feel ashamed and exposed somehow of what we really are some people say if people knew what i was really like they would never talk to me again etc etc and we can be terrified of being exposed somehow we sense Shame inside. But you see, there's a way out. Because the Bible says if we confess our sins, Christ is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you've never been in here before. And maybe you've come in and secretly you feel a sense of shame. I want to say to you today if in your heart you turn to Christ with everything you've got and say, Lord, I'm sorry forgive me and change me, you will feel once again clothed and protected. In fact, and we haven't time to talk about this this morning, the Bible says that Christ clothes us in his righteousness. So whatever we have been in the past, doesn't matter if nobody knows, they don't need to know, it's not their business, but God knows and God doesn't delight in that. God just wants to come to us with like a cloak, and put it round us and say, there you are, you are now clothed. You are now back with your dignity. And I think that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing. Dignity, clothed. And finally, the crowd came and there he was. He was sitting, he was clothed, and the Bible says he was in his right mind. He'd been tormented by demons night and day, his mind deranged. Now he knew peace of mind, understanding, and hope. The world was no longer upside down and the wrong way round. There was a place for everything, and everything was in its place. Is the world upside down for you today? Well, there is a God who knows what's going on. Hallelujah. Open your heart to the Lord today. And you know what helps, what helps us and what, what has been designed to help us? It's this book here. This is a book written by the God of hope and by the God of peace for people who need hope and who need peace. Now, I don't know whether you're an avid reader or don't read anything, but I encourage you to read the Bible, read one, Psalm 139, read John's Gospel, and find, gradually, that your mind and heart become illumined, that peace becomes something that you have more and more, because that's what God wants us to have, to be in our right mind. You see, and I do it the same, we settle down in front of the box, don't we? <laughs> or Facebook, or our tablet. And many, many a time we do it, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That's part of our modern life. But friends, sometimes it would do us more good to sit down and read what's in here. And I'm as bad as anybody else at doing that. But every time we do read, then inside us comes a portion of God's peace and God's help. So in conclusion... What have we said this morning? No one is too bad for Jesus. Nothing's too hard. Why is this story in the Bible? Because it was an example of what can, God could do with the worst of people. And we not, may not, I'm sure we're not in that position, but if God can do it for him, then God can do it for me. Jesus said, in conclusion, go home and tell your family, what the Lord has done for you. What a meeting that was going to be. He must have got there and they said, they might even have said, well, who are you? They despaired. They'd given up, hadn't they, his family? They'd probably disowned him. But he came back and he said, Mum, Dad, there was a lot of tears that day, wasn't there? And a lot of rejoicing. So that's something we can do. We may not be able to say much about Bible truths but we can always tell people about what the Lord has done for us and people find that very interesting and very convincing finally there's a twist to this tale because not everybody that day was pleased were they because the crowd came back and they saw the man that was healed and they said this When they came to Jesus, they saw the man. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region because they were afraid. And there's another message there for us, isn't there? They said, Lord, get out of here. Why? Well... Because the status quo had been upset, because Jesus had rocked the boat. And that's what he sometimes does. And that's why I think we don't ask God to come into our hearts more often, because we're frightened that he might rock my boat. Lord, if I really let you have my life, what would you do? But friends, that's being afraid if we really let God more and more into this church, what could he do? Well, he, he's going to do wonderful things. But there's a bit of us that doesn't. We don't like change. So they didn't want any change. That problem had been put in the tombs. Leave him there and let's get on with our life. Jesus came and changed all that. And that's what he does. And... I've written down here, an opportunity missed. He did a miracle for one man. But what about the rest of the town? He could have done so much more. But you see, God never forces his way into our lives. If we say adios, he will say adios. And so we need to remember, maybe our opportunity will come. Maybe it's now. Maybe it's this moment. And we need to say yes. So, I leave that with you. May God bless his word and shall we pray. Lord, this morning we thank you for what wonderful thing you did for this man. You demonstrated your complete authority, your complete authority over every other force in the world. We pray, Lord, today that you will help us to accept you and not reject you. And particularly, Lord, if today Today is the day when we need to open our heart to you for the first time. We pray that you will give us the courage and the grace to say, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, forgive me my sin, make my life anew. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.